Hey guys, what's up? It is week 259, and if you can't tell, I am very sick. Not why well, I had to take the last... I don't want to be exaggerate, because you guys know how much I exaggerate. Been sick the last couple days, couldn't go to work, couldn't work out, uh, all that kind of stuff. So, I, I rarely never take a day off working out, but I literally had to take off Thursday and Friday. This is today's Friday I record these, so I'm pretty uh, um, messed up. Not messed up, but like I sort of like a cough, that kind of stuff, and, and congested. I think it's the temperature change. I'm from Ohio, so it'll be 30 degrees one day, the next day 70, then bounce back to 40, and then 70, 60. It's just all over the place. Like today it's 40, and tomorrow it's supposed to be 70, and then... <laughs> I think Sunday's supposed to be 80, so it's legit trying to kill me. So uh, I know that uh, week 260 is approaching the five-year anniversary, and I'll probably announce a prize for next week, and we'll go for like three or four weeks until I draw the winner. Um, I'm not going to do international shipping anymore, so uh, I'm just not dealing with it. I've had a lot of problems. I still owe somebody for something that got shipped back, and, and I know I, I keep forgetting to uh, make that right, but you know, uh, when you get old, you forget. Plus, I'm sick. Excuse King. I so badly wanted to take a sip of that coffee the entire time I was talking, you know. It's like the thing, I can never shut my mouth, but uh, when it when it's, comes for coffee, I definitely will shut my mouth. So, uh, yeah, let's hop into the reviews, and hopefully I don't have too much of that brain fog. But I don't have COVID, again. I had it in uh, the end of January, early February. I did pull my neck, though, so it's real stiff, so I'm looking like Frankenstein here. I'm like, Rrr. but, uh, yeah. Uh, I know what the Frankenstein monster, whatever. But, uh, yeah, so I did, I passed in negative, so I didn't get COVID again. But uh, it's just probably just some allergies or something. So the first one up is a Wild Eye release. And uh, Wild Eye releases some of the kind of like uh, real low-budget American stuff. But sometimes they'll put out a lot of like really weird foreign films. And this is more in line with that. This is called Violator. And the cover art's great. Um, this is definitely something that caught my interest. It's a Japanese film, originally made in 2018, and uh, yeah, this is super bizarre. Um, now, how I personally felt about it, I, th I thought that it had some really cool moments and some really. It, it's got a great idea and concept. The, the idea and concept is super warped, super Japanese, and I love that. So essentially, what we have here is this young girl is trying to go find uh, her sister. And she she's, um, meets a strange guy along the way that has like an internet persona name. And she comes to find out that it was going to be a mass suicide. Her sister's going to be involved with the mass suicide. They're all going to kill themselves and everything like that. And she finally finds the place and it's filled with kind of a, a, a lot of eccentric characters. There's a vi videographer, a documentary filmmaker there filming the whole thing because, hey, exploitation, right? And uh, essentially what happens is a group of uh, kind of a family shows up and they're very strange. And uh, right away, I was like, this is a genius idea that we have a group of people who technically want to die. They want to, the young people to want to kill themselves. And I was thinking Suicide Club, that kind of thing. And um, they're probably going to be thwarted or stopped or have to engage with this family of crazies. And that is what happens. Um, but there's a lot of surrealness and weirdness going on. And it's really kind of goofy and absurd. And, and the kills are over the top in that kind of way you would expect. Um, now, some of it is practical, and that's done okay. But there is some CGI splatter that doesn't look necessarily good. Not that all CGI is bad, but the CGI splatter is particularly kind of corny in some aspects. But... Um, some of the kills are okay, but the concept to me, I enjoyed that idea that people are going to try to commit suicide, but no, 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 um, that you're actually going to be uh, thwarted and people are going to try to kill you for pleasure. And it's kind of a weird way. Uh, some people and the people interact and act differently to it. So, 
Um, yeah, the ending had a couple twists and turns, and it gets really weird and bonkers, but by then you kind of expect something strange to go on, something supernatural. Um, there's no features on the disc, which is unfortunate, but um, it is a movie that um, I love Asian cinema, and I did kind of enjoy a lot of it, but some of it I felt felt a little flat. I think they could have done a lot with the movie, and they did some of it, and I did kind of enjoy my time with it to a certain extent, but um, some of the stuff kind of lost me. That's Violator. Great name, too, right? Okay, the next one is another Wild Eye. That's right. I'm, I'm doing a bunch of Wild Eyes here, and this one is called Freak by Lucky Ceretti. There was a, uh, um, a, a release before this that he put out himself, so uh, Lucky Ceretti also did uh, Uncle Sleezo's uh, Toxic and Terrifying Hour, which I covered last week, and uh, Freak. This one sounded like it was uh, kind of up my alley. I love the cover art. Really cool cover art here. Um, and I looked at the runtime, and it said 52 minutes, and I was like, now this guy is speaking my fucking language right here. Uh, 52 minutes. It's got a monster, and it is a slasher. So it's definitely, I don't want to say it's like a throwback, and I mean, it's obviously aware of the 80s slasher movies at summer camp kind of slasher, but it's not um, hitting you over the head with every kind of trope and thing like that. So essentially what we have here is a group of, uh, I think, five kids going out to a cabin. They got really cheap, and and, uh, basically they're isolated, so... Um, they, they start to tell this kind of myth story, the story kind of in a, in a line of Madman or, or The Burning. or it, That's very typical, but that's just a setup to these movies. Um, and they, they tell the story about this, what is his name? Arthur, Arthur Crenshaw. And he was this kind of mutated person, this boy that uh, he was kind of left out in the woods and whatnot and abandoned by society. And he's still supposedly in the woods and whatnot. Um, In the beginning, we do see some murders. So we do suspect that there is an Arthur Crenshaw out there. Um, I will say the name Arthur Crenshaw reminded me immediately of Arthur Shawcross, who is a a serial killer. So I don't know if the name came from Arthur Shawcross, Arthur Crenshaw, both killers. Who knows? Um, Anyways, so like I said, the movie doesn't really take that much time to get started because it is 52 minutes long and um, in the beginning they set up the characters decently I uh, got a couple laughs especially from the parents and the interactions and all that stuff and uh, they start to get picked off the monster is creepy as shit looking he's like a puppet he looks not like any other slasher out there and um, I'm pretty sure that uh, Lucky Ceretti and the other filmmakers Matt Matt Swersonson and uh, I can't think of the third name they definitely didn't want to make um, I think they mentioned the special features they didn't want to make him look like your typical kind of deformed character and movies that could be a human kind of in the way that Hennelotter did with uh, Basket Case 2 because maybe it just could become offensive I mean like if you, let's say you have like a deformity and like just like a slight one on your face even um, speaking of deformities I'll get into a movie that does that later on this week um, and like you're watching a movie and it's like how come every mad slasher looks like me when I have a it's just like a guy with a cleft lip you're like hey what the fuck so like they made it a monster monster this isn't your typical kind of hey I look kind of messed up kind of killer or mentally handicapped killer this is a big creature that doesn't look like anything else and and he's actually jarring when you see him he looks like kind of goofy but scary as shit and I love that I love that the killer is unique and different and um, it has some gore, some splatter, and it's relatively fast-paced. I, I remember enjoying the music. I like the location. There's all that not much to say about it. But what I did say was uh, I, I did like it. Like I said, it's entertaining. It, it's quick. It's, uh, it's, it is it's is a throwback, but it's not solely like hitting you over the head and, and like you know constantly bringing that up. Um, so, yeah, the special features include a director's commentary, behind-the-scenes featurette, and s- s- uh, scene selection. I did notice like a lot of low-budget movies sometimes the dialogue or, or like will be drowned out just slightly. You could still hear it, but you know, over the music and stuff like that. And I don't know if that's the disc itself or the film itself, but anyways, enjoyable freak, pretty cool stuff from Lucky Ceretti and company.
let's continue this indie movie cycle thing here. And uh, we got one by Madeline Deering, and this is Spirit Animal. Yeah, and uh, it's an SOV, a modern SOV. I picked this up at Cinema Wasteland, and I'd heard a lot about it. Um, I, we have mutual friends, um, Madeline Deering and me. So, like, a couple of my friends had talked about it. I know JP from 22 Shots had seen it, and uh, Carly and all them. So I was like, okay, I'm definitely interested in this one. And the concept sounded like a lot of fun. What we have here is... Um, a killer who kind of like uh, wears different kind of like animal outfits, and and it's super bonkers. I don't I know how to go about this, but we have kind of like yeah, I guess you know in a lot of ways it is your setup to a slasher film, but this one is more self aware and goofy and, and enjoying it. Um, so like. The opening of the film, we have um, Tim Gross, cameo by Tim Gross, a uh, reviewer. Uh, this has reviewed a bunch of films and um, made a couple movies too. Jack Off Massacre, I think he directed. So anyways, uh, Tim Gross is like... Um above uh like a camp leader or something like that and he starts telling the story about like kids need to adopt their spirit animal and all this nonsense and stuff like that and uh one kid says i'm all the spirit animals you can't yada 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 um cut it short uh tim gross is murdered by uh said child in a buffalo outfit and we kind of fast forward to modern times i guess there's an urban legend in the woods and whatnot and again we have a group of kids going out to camp and they're in basically a one-room cabin, and they're going to be picked off by this character or somebody possibly listening even to a higher force than themselves. So, uh, yeah, the acting is like kind of purposely over the top in a lot of ways, and sometimes that that can rub me the wrong way. Um, it, you know, there's other like performances better than the other, but when they're all trying to be like a lot of them are trying to be goofy and silly and stuff and kind of self-aware in that SOV world, um, some come across better than others. Like, I, it's hard to judge like and say a negative thing about the act, this style of acting in general. You know what I mean? It, it's not like poorly acted; it's just bizarrely acted, is what I'll say. Um, there is a couple, uh, Madeline Deering has a, a role in the movie and, uh, her role cracked me up. Just, she had one of the best lines in the film where, um, her and some other character are kind of lost in the woods and she's leading them. And the other guy notices what has in a hand. And, and he's like, is that a fucking plastic compass? And she's like, this is a family heirloom. And I just burst out laughing. I know I'm spoiling one of the jokes, but it was very funny. Uh, quite hilarious stuff. Um, the kills are gory. There, there's a lot of guts, kind of like stuff being pulled out and that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, I like the concept. I think the concept of the killer adopt adapting all these different kind of spirit animals is really fun. They're just cheap masks. That's really cool. Um, it obviously is a low budget SOV modern kind of thing, so it's not exactly um, uh, the thing that I would go gravitate towards. I love SOV, but I'm not too big on like the purposely goofy movies. I don't know how to explain that. Um, I am, in a way, like, I love Greasy Strangler, I love Psycho Goreman, but um, sometimes, like, I don't want to put this in that camp, purposely made bad, because I don't even think it's that, because I enjoyed it, and there's some movies that are purposely made over the top, like Sharknado, and this is not like that, this is much better than something like that for me, but, uh, yeah, it does have a little bit of that tinge, if that makes any sense. In the opening, it, it kind of confused me, because, yes, it's a lost SOV, and um, there's there's a guy, there's a kind of a narrator in the opening, he's like, I found this piece of crap in the garbage, this tape, and he's like, this is an SOV. We're going to watch a video. But the whole movie before is a video as well. So I'm like, what in the hell is going on? Um, so it makes no sense, right? Like, if it, the whole thing is, this character found a VHS, you're going to watch it. Why is that beginning part shot in VHS as well? Okay. 
And then, like, also a character has, like, a dream, and there's, like, a phone, there's, like, a laptop in it. It's supposed to be the 90s, and, like, I don't know how frequent late 90s laptops were. This is nitpicking. This is kind of, like, weird time stuff. But anyways, uh, Toby Redloff, Redloff actually has a cameo in here. Well, he's a voice actor. I wouldn't even say it's a cameo. And it's a very fun, goofy role. And fun, if, uh, he's the killer nerd, if anybody doesn't know. But what really cracked me up was I was at Cinema Wasteland sitting there. I was just uh, watching the table with Cage, uh, my friend. I don't know why I'm telling people. That, oh, just what? Like, who gives a shit? They don't care. And um, I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden, there's a lot of people in the convention room, right? And I just hear this loud, piercing voice. And I'm like, who the fuck is that? Like, why can I hear this person's voice over absolutely everything? And it sounds very familiar, like I know who it is. And I'm just like, what the fuck? And then all of a sudden, like, he walks through, and I was like, fuck, that's, the, that's Tony Randleff. That's the killer nerd. And no wonder I recognize his voice. No wonder his, he talks like that all the time. The fucking voice pierces through a room full of convention fans. But he was just talking about movies and stuff and being very happy, which was nice to hear. Anyways, uh, Spirit Animal, if it sounds like it's up your alley, check it out. There's a lot of funny environmental jokes and all that kind of stuff. See, fuck the environment on there. So, yeah. Anyways, it's fun. It's goofy. Uh, you'll know if you like it anyways. There's some features on here, including bloopers, theatrical trailer, audio commentary. Uh, yeah. So, th there's a decent kill count as well. Yeah. Check it out. Oh, I should mention this. This is kind of a nice touch here. They do have a scratch and sniff in there. And um, this is definitely something that's kind of after my own heart because obviously, you know, like there's pizza jokes and stuff like there and there with Donato's Pizza, Dingo Pizza. So, yeah, uh, if you guys seen any of the stuff we made, obviously I always include a pizza joke. Okay, this next one is another indie flick. And, uh, yeah, this one is Let's Stop at the Morgue by Sam Hell. And uh, this is the first Sam Hell movie I've seen. Sam Hell did some other stuff like, uh, geez, what is it, um, like, Blue, I have a couple of his movies. Love Dump is one. And I've heard a lot about his films. And a lot of people said they're more like fetish-style horror films. And not that I hate fetish stuff in horror films. If it's in there, I'm fine. Like, hell, I love pinky movies, pinky violence movies, all those Asian movies. But I don't want the entire movie to be that, if that makes any sense. So, like, um, I, I wanted to check out his films because I hear a lot of good things. And he's a really nice guy. I've met him before. At Wasteland, I talked to him about a couple of his films, finally getting around to watching some. And um, this one I heard, Let's Stop at the Morgue, is the most approachable for someone that is not typically in that stuff. Like I said, I don't care if it's in the movie. I just don't. It's not like it's going to bother me. It's just that if the entire movie is that, I don't know if I'll get much out of it. Because like I look back on this Japanese film I saw years back called Lady in the Sea of Blood, and, and people seem to like that. And I'm like, it's just a lady showering in red corn syrup there's there's literally nothing like there's nothing else and and I, I i don't know if they're like that or not but okay so let's stop with the morgue um so this is shot black and white obviously you can tell and uh the way the credits go and stuff and they, they go up and it looks very professional the cinematography is pretty solid for a low budget movie i'll give it that um the recognizable faces are in here there's a couple for me shane ryan who's a director himself and um doug wall who's also a filmmaker himself and i met doug nice guy um he, he his movies what was it really like kind of gross house? gross house i think is this movie um he's in a, a slew of films sorry about that like i said it's sick so let's stop at the morgue so this is kind of a typical storyline we have some narration about kind of like a killer who um i would say necrophile not necrophilia but necrophile collects dead bodies parts and plays i don't know the definition of you know these weird terms 100 percent. but um he also works at the as a morgue attendant so he um will kill somebody and then they'll eventually end up in the morgue um over time like um a police officer starts to catch on to him and like um the movie is just as it follows follows the police officer and him and a couple of his murders and and whatnot so it, it is kind of straightforward in its narrative um 
the narration is solid um and there's some special effects i believe by james bell some props in here um it's not as graphic as i thought it would be in terms of violence and gore and stuff like that but the, the fake head does look solid so yeah it's it's kind of your uh i don't want to be negative it, it's kind of your run-of-the-mill serial killer movie but just kind of well done in that aspect on a budget well shot you know um the acting is is, is uh nothing negative i have to say about it but uh yeah i i i mean i i need to check out his other films but i was kind of taken back how tame this was and that it's not a negative nor a positive i was just like okay i was kind of expecting some crazy shit and it was it was slightly crazy but not super crazy i don't want to give away um the ending or anything like that but i don't think it's really the kind of movie that's a twist shock or anything like that but um yeah this is my first uh um, kind of a introduction to uh, Sam Hell, and I'll, I'll check out some other ones now. Now that I've seen kind of his more like straightforward film, I'd like to check out possibly Love Dump. I have sitting here and get a little crazy with it. But let's stop at the morgue. Um, I know that Sam Hell's films, uh, his his label Broke House, is kind of like uh, stopped, and he's moving on to other things. And I think the website is still up, and they are selling the back catalog of stuff out. So if you're interested in them, get them while they're get them while they're there, because otherwise they might not be there uh, when you're looking for them ever again. You know how that goes so yeah okay the next one is from 88 films and this is one of their kind of deluxe editions here and this is the black cat or just as it's just black cat and this is a hong kong flick from 1991 and uh, i guess it's kind of like their take on la femme nikita um, which I've never seen La Femme Nikita, I don't believe, but I have seen the American remake, The Point of No Return, with who is that, Bridget Fonda in that movie? It's been years since I've seen that. But uh, The Black Cat, um, I, I, I dig a lot of the Hong Kong movies. This one had kind of a crazy reputation, so I picked it up when they had the special edition. Um, I popped this in, and uh, so it's very funny with a lot of Hong Kong fl films, or I'll notice it even in South Korean films, modern films. All the South Korean actors and actresses are top-notch amazing, and that, You'll have some American counterparts in there, um, or English counterparts, most likely British, um, in there. And I don't know if they're dubbed um, by somebody else or whatnot, but they just come across really hokey and really cheesy or just have their accents all over the place. Like, it's supposed to take place in America in the opening of this film. And there's, like, I feel like there's British guys and, and, and Australian guys. And it's just like, who the... And a lot of these ADR, it's like, who is... What the fuck is going on? Um, that will never make me hate a movie entirely, okay? So what we have here is... A, it opens in America, and we have this this woman originally from Hong Kong. She's in uh, kind of this like shitty small little town, southern town. You get the idea of, and she's like a waitress, although she doesn't appear to be a very good waitress either. And uh, one night, this kind of uh, angry kind of sleazeball trucker comes in, and uh, I listened to some of the commentary, and the the guys doing the commentary had me cracking up. Um, let me see their names here, because these guys do a lot of the commentaries. Um, Cheese, sorry, 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 wasting. Uh, Mike Letter and Arn, uh, Arnie uh, Vima. They do a lot of the stuff on the Shaw Brothers. So they had to be cracking up because they're not wrong. The the, the trucker comes in and they're like, this guy's straight out of the 80s. He's got the overcoat Rambo thing, but then his undershirt is this like um, Bennett from Commando and they're 100% right. And then he's got this weird dubbed voice. Um, so it's just complete nonsense. He's a sleazeball. Uh, basically what happens is our lead uh, lead character here, um, Catherine, she gets in a scuffle with uh, them. It's, uh, a bunch of shit goes tragically wrong and some people end up dead. A cop ends up dead. She's like a wild animal. She's completely vicious and insane. The action stuff's really great. The diner, all the set pieces are really cool. And uh, somehow they this, the government sees that her viciousness is kind of top notch. And they're like, you know what? 
we're gonna uh, we're gonna uh, kind of put you in this uh, this special ops and make an assassin out of you, which is ridiculous. It's like we can't control you. We don't know. We're gonna uh, so let's use you. But anyways, they put a microchip in her head. But there is like a stint where we have like this woman in prison scene where she ends up beating the shit out of this guard, which was excellent. But uh, anyway, she starts to get trained as a super assassin, and we have like these montages. And it's weird because like half the music is really good, but half the music is just really repetitive, and they play it throughout the entire montage stuff. So you're like, okay, I get it, I get it. But they play that a lot. And then finally we get these like excellent payoffs where she actually goes on this mission. There's this one mission where she goes in a wedding and it's so action packed and so intense and people are getting shot left and right and it's just violent and awesome. And like all the hits, she has like two or three hits in the movie. They're all fantastic. They're all excellently well done. You guys know Hong Kong action is unmatched in its craziness and there's a lot of it here when it's there. The craziness I mean. But uh, of course she starts to have a relationship and that kind of complicates things and all this other stuff. But she also has a complicated relationship with her superior, who I believe is Simon Lamb, who's a very familiar actor. I think I've seen him in a bunch of stuff, you know, watching these movies. Anyways, um, it looked really good. It sounded pretty good. Um, there's a lot of good, um, some nudity in here, of course, some spicy kind of stuff going on. But I, I got to admit that the action is really what made the movie worth the price of admission. Um, she's good in it. She's the best in it. She's very, like, and I feel like a lot of the stuff she does is in terms of action is impressive, like her sprinting and running and stuff like that like that i know a lot of it's going to be a stunt woman or stunt double but still a lot of it is pretty damn good but uh as far as the features are concerned there's a handful um la femme jade an interview with jade Luyon, audio commentary with uh, mike letter and army vim another commentary with agent uh cinema expert frank jin an original hong kong trailer so we got we got that uh, i guess it's not as packed as i made it out but we do have a booklet and i like these nice hard cases anyways it's a pretty cool, cool flick um i would recommend checking out the black cat not my favorite hong kong movie but um not everything can be the untold story or um uh hard boiled or something right Okay, uh, the next one here is from 1977, and it's been a long time since I watched this. This is Michael Winner's The Sentinel. Yeah, although kind of a rare horror film for Michael Winner. Michael Winner did a lot of movies. He, he um, did the Death Wish, one, Death Wish 1, 2, and 3, Scream for Help. He's done a lot of films. Michael Winner's done, what, six films with Bronson, also included his Shadows Land, um, The Mechanic, and and uh, what is the other one, Stone? Stone Killer? Did he do that one as well? Uh, so anyways, he, he uh, Michael Winner, uh, he's kind of an infamous director if you've ever seen interviews with him, especially on his Death Wish 2 stuff where he's just like kind of like almost like just it, it, like bringing not, not caring what anybody said like this movie's trashy and he's just like eh <laughs> and, and like so Michael Winter is more of you know as he went on he got more exploitative in his, in his film so the Sentinel, um, 1977. This movie has an amazing cast, and and it's a cast that a lot of the people weren't as famous, um, you know, before. But then it's it's riddled with a lot of classic actors too. Um, geez, who who's the main actress? Christina Raines, right? Christina Raines, of course. But we also have Chris Sarandon in here, and there's like real small bit roles if you pay attention to people like um, Jeff Goldblum and Tom Berenger and William Hickey and um, geez, geez, I'm missing Christopher Walken, and then we have some of the big names like Burgess Meredith, Ava Gardner, um, Arthur Kennedy, Jose Ferreira. So we have so many people in this movie, and I didn't even hit everybody. I hit Eli Wallach. I, I know I'm missing some. We got Beverly Delangelo. It's just everybody and their brother makes an appearance in this movie. Martin Balsam. And um, I, I know I'm probably missing some. If I look on the back here, uh, of course, I, I got Sylvia Miles. So yeah, yeah. Anyways, I, I think I hit a lot of the big players. 
But this movie obviously has like a Rosemary's Baby thing going on. But um, it, it, as much as it is a Rosemary's Baby thing, it also feels uh, like a precursor to stuff like The Beyond or City of the Living Dead. So essentially, Christina um, Reigns is looking for an apartment. Um, she has a long-term boyfriend she doesn't want to live with anymore. Although they're not broken up, she wants her own space. That's Chris Sarandon um, coming fresh off lipstick, right? Anyways, um, he basically... Um, they, she finds a place and it's really cheap. It's really well priced, four hundred dollars a month in New York. She ends up moving in and and right away, um, it kind of reminds me of the tenant too by Roman Polanski. A lot of strange people in this in this place talking to her and they're just out there. Burgess Meredith has like a pet cat and a pet bur- a parakeet. And he's excellent and he always is. Never never disappointed by a Burgess Meredith performance. Um, and this also reminds me that this is the second movie I've seen with Burgess Meredith and William Heckey in together. Ninety two in the shades, the other one. But um, so so like she starts to like kind of be weirded out by everybody over time there's a birthday party for a cat and um so chris saranda starts to get involved in looking into this place and realizes that there's some weird shit going on i should mention john carradine's also in here so yeah um what what find what what finds out is that um that she is i i don't they don't know how to talk about this movie without spoiling the shit out of it but um this this apartment basically is one of the gateways to hell which which i love and they even do anybody who seems to be guarding this gateway to hell is completely blind like the beyond or or anything like that so i love the idea that it's not even the only movie if you essentially see hell or are near hell enough you go fucking blind um yeah a- anyways like i said um the movie when it has special effects like there, there's a lot of like for like trauma with this character as well and, and like it gets into some really dark touchy subjects involving suicide and with sentinel involving that and stuff and like holy shit that's really dark and like uh and, and like a lot of shadiness and weirdness about it um chris sarandon is perfectly cast in that kind of role where he seems like not decent on, on the top but he's kind of also slimy and a little untrustworthy down below um and the opening of this movie the first like 30 minutes i, I really like how it's set up the music and how it's shot and how it feels almost like family, like friendly to a certain extent. But then we start like getting into her, uh, Christina Rain's backstory and her life and all that kind of shit. And we see like with her father and this a lot of really weird stuff. And it goes on. It has these more exploitative elements until the very end when it's a, it's kind of just like exploitation hell right there. Um, literally <laughs> and figuratively but uh you guys uh it's just such a, a bizarre ending it's so weird and the special effects in here the gore effects like when somebody gets their eye slashed look really solid i i forgot it being so gory i mean like it's not a gore fest but when the gore is there it's pretty effective um and like i said i would bring up the idea of using actually like kind of like the deformed killers and stuff like that and the end of this movie like uh something crazy happens and enter in all these kind of people with real life deformed Deformities, and it's just such a bizarre, uncomfortable thing. Like looking at it, you're like, "Oh, wow, that does obviously didn't date itself." Even in the '77, it was. I knew he took some backlash for it, but watching it, it's just so strange to see all these people with these deformities, um, and like you feel genuinely bad, and and it just adds this weird element of creepiness to it. On top of it, I'm going to be honest, it's just a fucking strange thing, and uh, like a lot of the things that you think this movie kind of sets forth that like lesbians are evil and people. No, I mean that kind of like the. Super suicidal stuff and all this kind of stuff is very touchy and dark and kind of creepy and uh there's a lot of good nightmare imagery at the very end of the sentinel that i think's worth checking out it's a good film um now i i think that uh i feel like the opening and the ending are really good the middle is a little bogged down but not horribly it's kind of like figuring out what the hell's going on um as far as the special features are concerned we have audio commentary with the writer producer jeffrey convitz audio commentary with writer producer director michael winner wow 
and audio commentary with actress Christina Raines. Interview with assistant director Ralph S. Singleton. Wow, who uh, went on to direct, I believe, Graveyard Shift. Doesn't say that, but that name is very familiar. Love Graveyard Shift. So anyways, The Sentinel, check it out. Uh, it had been a long time since I watched it, and it's still pretty good. Um, yeah, I remembered it being good, but it, it hit about where I remembered liking it. About the same. Okay, the next one here is Girls School Screamers, or Girls School Screamers. And uh, this freaking movie, I remember the trailer um, was like, it was a trauma release, so it had that really obnoxious guy that I love. And uh, it's like, it, I literally feel, is this the trailer? It's like, they're still crazier after all these years. If I, <laughs> I don't know why I remember the trailer verbatim. Um, not verbatim, obviously, but hyperbole again. Um the finishing school that finished them off. I, I had not remembered if I had seen this one or not, to be honest. And and when I put it in, I was like, nope, not seen this. So, Girls, School Screamers, and Vinegar Syndrome, Blu-ray. And it looked fucking fantastic. Um, the opening of the film, I was like, oh, we're in for kind of a treat here. We have this kid being kind of like dared to go in this haunted house. And he gets like a terrible fright of a melting, ghouly thing face. And I was like, I like it, I like it. And then we kind of like fast forward... And, like, we have, like, these seven girls, and they're all, like, basically, and it's, like, nun school or this Catholic school or whatever the hell. And they're like, you guys are going to go to this old house and help catalog all the stuff because we just didn't got it. And they're cataloging. It's going to take a long time. So they go there with, like, this old nun. What is her name? I can't remember. But uh, the old nun steals the show for me. She's uh, just, like, genuinely, like, super sweet. And um, just I, a lot of the people in this movie aren't the best actors, if that makes any sense. But I know that sometimes she seems like she's line reading at times. But I absolutely adored her. She reminded me of, like, an Anna Mine or something like that. And I was just like, I love this nun. I love her. And, like, so basically... Basically, it's like the girls talking a lot and goofing around. And at one point, they um, one of the girls finds a diary of a girl that was that was here at one point, and she brings it up at the the whatever dinner table. And the nun kind of snaps for a second. It's very funny because she's like, "Don't bring that nun up! Don't bring that woman up!" Nun. But and like she's like, "I'm sorry, I got so mad." And like her getting mad is still like the most tamest angry of all time. She's like all right now and you're just like she's like like she blew up on him and she's just like barely agitated sounding and it's just like i feel like the lady didn't have a mean bone in her body so she couldn't yell but anyways i just like watching her she she, she brings me happiness okay so anyways about 40 minutes into this movie i i stopped and i said what in the hell is this thing what is this thing like we've been in this house for 40 minutes they found a diary <laughs> they've been cleaning and talking they did a seance but nothing has happened there's been no murder. There's been nothing. And then about 52 minutes into the movie, this hour and 25 minute movie, basically it becomes like this big gory slaughter fest and a bunch of people start getting killed, picked off really fast in really ridiculous ways. A lot of slimy, gooey worm shit. Um, and we get the backstory of who this character in the diary was and, and why there's basically like a reincarnation style thing and who's behind everything like that. And we have like eight kills really fast, back to back to back. And it ends. Um, the movie's all right. The, the, there's like, um, that the opening's fun and there's like 20, 30 minutes of just like weird kind of pacing issues. Um, the music throughout the entire movie is pretty solid. I like how it's shot. I mean, that probably gets helped a lot by the Vinegar Syndrome Blu-ray that looks and sounds great, but, um, I like the music. I, I, it just has a weird kind of charm about it, but I don't know how to explain it. It's not necessarily a great movie, but it has some charm that I kind of enjoyed. Now, is it something that I'm going to pop in every other year and be like, gotta watch Girl School Screamers? Absolutely not. I may never watch this movie again, but to say I hated it is a, is a complete overstatement. I enjoyed it. I ended up liking it. I don't know why. Um, 
maybe it's because it just it's kind of like death screams the slasher movie where we're like watching for like an like 30 minutes just these people talking and hanging out and then like another 20 minutes we're at like a fair and then like the last 30 minutes or last like 10 minutes is just a bunch of people getting slaughtered you're like who paced this and like it just has this kind of like charm to it i don't know how to explain it um but uh as far as special features are concerned we have 28 seconds of violence an extended making of documentary featuring interviews with writer director john p finnegan editor and assistant director tom rondilla a second camera assistant director um director bill pace actor um peter uh, cosmano and sound designer john uh hodian and we also have a commentary track with the director and commentary track with editor assistant director um, and then, yeah, so, so like I said, this movie is better or more entertaining than I thought it would be. Like, I didn't know what the hell to expect, but like at the end of it, I was like, when I was at 40 minutes, I was like, this is terrible. And then by the time I was done with it, I was like, I kind of like that. I don't know how to explain it, but, uh, the, the release looks fantastic. So, um, toss out your old trauma DVD and pick up the vinegar syndrome. If you're a fan, um, I, I'm glad I watched it. So some people list this from 1986. Some people listed it at 1985 letterbox is 86 internet movie data. Base is 85, so uh, yeah. Okay, guys, we're gonna do the Patreon pick, and the Patreon pick was by Jason Willard, and this is Raging Fire, which came out a couple years ago, maybe now, um, <coughs> maybe even longer, to be honest. And uh, this stars Donnie Yen, who's an action star who I'm not as familiar with as I should be, let's be honest. The actual director of this film died shortly after it was released, which is sad. It's actually dedicated to him. Maybe it wasn't even released, but it's kind of a bummer. And this is like a crazy epic action flick. So we have Donnie Yen, who is a police officer and kind of like a special police officer. He's well-respected. And um, he, he kind of seems like he might be a little overboard sometimes, maybe a little, I don't want to say vigilante, but uh, he tries to follow the rules, but he's a hardcore cop and he lo- he's older and he's really into it. So in the very beginning of this movie, he is kind of like, he refuses to basically forget like a, a minor infraction or something um, of a superior. He refuses it. So they basically punish him by not letting him go on this, this basic this whole like mission or whatever this sting that he's been setting up for months or years and uh his best friend one of his friends goes on there and it's a huge ambush and um his his friend is killed along with a a lot of other cops and like we learn the bad guys are like these really like badass like group of five guys that are just really tight and connected and they just they kill all the gang members they kill all the cops and they take all the the money and guns and shit and uh, then we come to find out that uh, obviously Denny Yen is really pissed off about the situation. He starts to dig in deeper, and we get this elaborate backstory about who these guys are, how they're connected to Donnie Yen, and they do have a, a really close connection and stuff like that. And it kind of tackles police corrupt, uh, brutality, all that kind of stuff. And it kind of walks the line where sometimes you're like, ah, is this like praising police officers or condemning them? I don't know. Maybe it's trying to play that, that gray line here and whatnot. But um, the action is really what you're interested in. And and there's a lot of great stuff. Um, basically, Danny Yen and his team have to go in a lot of uh, like really sketchy situations. One place where they basically find a whole like little village of criminals, and like the way the camera it works is really excellent. Like he'll be fighting these guys in this like second floor building, like and they'll be pulling pepper spray and have to keep them all back, and he'll literally beat up like five or six guys. It's amazing. And like the camera will just move like with the characters. Like somebody will get knocked out the window on the second floor, and the camera will just move outside. And like we're now we're looking at them without a. Cup 
cut of that character falling down an alleyway from the second story. And it does this a lot. And, like, it does a lot of wide shot, like, action. So, like, you know, like, no cuts and stuff like that. So it's, like, really elaborate, well-done stunts and well-done fighting. And, like, I love that stuff where the camera's overhead and it will just, like, move out of a room without cutting and a character will fall. And you're just like, holy shit, this looks very dangerous, very, very, like, excellent and all that kind of stuff. And so essentially... Um, like I said, um, if we get to the climax of this film, you like they've done everything they could possibly do, and then like the director or the writer was like, you know what? Let's just do heat. We all like Michael Mann's heat. Let's we're gonna do our heat. And like the movie's being so like over the top as it is, like we have explosions in the street, cops getting shot, robbers getting shot, all sorts of crazy shit. And of course, there's a bond among these robbers with each other. So like, there's that element. There's a bond between Danny Yen and the robbers as well. So it's a really entertaining, awesome flick. If you're into action, if you're into explosions. I'd really recommend checking out Raging Fire. I, I rented it on uh, Amazon Prime, but I really dug it. Um, now, like I said, um, watch it in its actual language. Don't watch it in English. I started watching it in English because that's how it popped up, and it was really brutal. Like The dubbing was shit, and everybody sounded awkward as fuck, so I went to the original language, and it was much better. Um, but anyways, this is very entertaining stuff, Raging Fire. Now, if you're real touchy about like police brutality and police corruption and all that kind of stuff, and you don't want to see police officers held in a, in a, in a good light or anything or something like that if that's gonna bother you then like I said this movie walks that line too because Donnie Yen is obviously against the police brutality uh, in a lot of ways but it's sometimes he has the you know the the, the obvious uh, you know companion like uh, the loyalty to his brothers it and like I said, the way they do that could be wishy-washy to some people. And hey, it's just a movie. You don't have to agree with everything a movie says to enjoy it, right? What are we, 12? So uh, anyways, that is Raging Fire. Check it out. I enjoyed it. Um, and like I said... The way they tackle that situation, I guess, it's more interesting than being, like, white or black. But then at the same time, some people are like, it's way too patriotic in terms of the police for Whatever. I don't know. It's also a different country. I don't know how shit works. And I believe it's Hong Kong. And, like, Hong Kong is all fucked up right now. So, or it might have just been mainland China. I'm not 100% sure. So, Raging Fire, cool stuff. Check it out. Okay, now we're going to hop into those 1994 movies. Prison officials say Dahmer's head may have been bashed against a wall. They have last-minute appeals failed to stop the execution of America's most notorious mass murderer, John Wayne Gacy. Throughout, Chikatilo presented himself as a wretched victim of nature's indifference. Say the truth. Reality! What do you know about reality? It's not a solid case story. This is not reality. Not reality. Not reality. This is reality. Not 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 reality. Look, he hasn't got any relatives, and the coma he's in is irreversible. Give me a signature and I'll pull the plug now. Fuck off. Get out of here. 
All right, we're definitely winding down on the 1994 flicks, and uh, this one was... I wasn't even going to watch it at first, and I, I, I watched it online, so if you're wondering why my DVD is still sealed. I bought this DVD 20 years ago, never fucking opened it, but I had seen it. This is one that I had on VHS, too. I'm trying to find if I have my VHS sitting around anymore, but uh, this is Watchers 3. That's right. Um, sorry, Wings Hauser. And also, I noticed when I was opening it and then going through the credits, freaking uh, Gregory Scott Cummings is in this movie, and that made me very happy. Gregory Scott Cummings has been in, like, every other movie I've watched lately. And like I said, I tell this story every time he's in a movie. It's because for years and years and years, I didn't know who he was. Like, I never registered him. I remembered him in some movies, but I didn't know it was all the same guy, if that makes any sense. And then I, one day, I was watching It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, and Mac's dad was there. And he was absolutely hilarious. And I was like, who is this actor? I gotta look him up. I love him in this. And, like, I looked him up and I was like, oh, that's the guy from Hackalander. That's the guy from Cliffhanger. Go fetch Wonder Dog. He's got that one-liner. I was like, I've seen this dude in a half a dozen movies. And more recently, he's been popping up in everything. Phantom on the Mall. Um, what is it? Uh, Action Danger USA. He was in that one. And like, he's just in everything. Uh, Blood Games. Everything I've been watching, Gregory Scott Cummings just pops up and like, hey, let me get my two-minute cameo. And he's in it longer than that. But he's really, he's really versatile because I didn't fucking recognize the guy, okay? And he always plays kind of a goon. And Watchers 3 plays one of the soldiers. So essentially, Watchers 3 is Predator with the Watchers story. If anybody's seen the Watchers films, Watchers 1 uh, had uh, Corey Haim and Michael Ironside. It's been years. Uh, would would really like to see a Blu-ray of that one. I definitely would rewatch that. So essentially, what we have here is like a weird scientific experiment where the monster and the dog are attached telepathically or something. The dog's super smart. I don't fucking know. But that's all the Watchers have the same basic plot, I think. And like they're not really related sequels. There's four of them. Um, and I had seen one, I think I've seen two, and I know I've seen three a couple times. So essentially what we have here is Wings Hauser, Gregory Scott Cummings, and a couple other guys were kind of like in a, in a uh, military prison for, for ducking, doing something, for ducking, for some, doing something wrong, all right? Basically they're handed this opportunity, says, hey, go on this mission. It's basically a Predator mission. You guys remember Predator? Or it's more so a Dirty Dozen suicide mission at the same time. They say, you do this for us and we'll let you go. Um, when they get there, they realize that there's something wrong. They find this young kid who's found the dog wings hauser knows the dog he it turns out it, it directly involves him this dog and why he was imprisoned and all this shit so he knows a little bit about the scientific experiment the monsters after the dog i don't necessarily know the monster starts picking off the soldiers yada 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 there's literally scene for scene shots of the predator like the the, the monster ripping out a bullet and it's like Argh! and the monster's like howl is so cheap i was like i was like i know this is a joke but i was like i had to double check to see if the motherfucker was directed by bruno Mattei. Like, it's such a shameless ripoff, but at the same time, uh, a 90 shameless ripoff of The Predator with action and gore and some fun actors is better than 90% of the independent shit that comes out now. I know that sounds like a shitty thing to say. I'm not saying all of it. There's some really good independent shit coming out, but, like, I'll take Watchers 3 over any sci-fi direct-to-DVD movie any fucking day, all right? So, Watchers 3... The special effects are solid. The monster's cool. He's gooey. He's green. He's jungle-oriented. I don't fucking know. Um, Wings Hauser is over the top, but not not completely unhinged like he has been. He's okay at it. Gregory Scott Cummings is cool. Um, he has tarot cards, which is a really weird kind of thing for a soldier. Like, fucking tarot cards. is like, can we squeeze in another fucking trope in here? Because, you know, every horror movie ever, even from Anthropophagus to Dead Alive, it's like, we got tarot cards. We're going to figure out. It's like, why the fuck? We have tarot cards in the jungle is so weird. Um, yeah, like I said, all the soldiers have 
have varying personalities. Um, there's one part where somebody gets killed and they literally do the blame. Oh, they literally do Mac from um, a Predator where he's like, ah, just screaming and shooting after Blaine gets killed. I'm like, this is so shameless. But I was entertained throughout it. One of the characters gets an off-screen death and I was like, boo, off-screen death. But the rest of it's okay. I mean, it's it's this is the stuff that I used to see as a kid on the sci-fi channel, to be honest. When I was like um, 7 to like 15, the sci-fi channel was a haven for this kind of shit. Like, you're like, you want to watch a new Concord sci-fi horror movie? You want to watch a, 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 a Empire or Full Moon picture pop in sci-fi like when i stayed home sick i would always put on the sci-fi channel right like i oh i, I seen doll man versus demonic toys on there uh, dr mordred just a lot of fun shit like watchers 3 this is the kind of stuff that would play on the sci-fi channel when i was a kid and i used to eat it up and love it so this is like kind of like that and i do have a fondness for this it's not going to make my top 10 of 94 or anything like that but i'm glad i rewatched it i seen a lot worse from 94 and i do like this movie so yeah that is watchers 3 um i know 2 just got a blu-ray release and i've been playing and toying with buying it. I'm like, do I really want to spend $27 for Watchers 2 on Blu-ray? I'm like, I don't... That's so rough. That's such a rough price for Watchers 2 on Blu-ray. Really a rough price. Kind of exploitative. But hey, I don't gotta buy it either, right? Uh, yeah, so anyways, Watchers 3. Wings Hauser. Gregory Scott Cummings. And this guy. This this thing. That looks kind of like a Uzi Chud. Or a Zoonoid. Or whatever the hell you want to call it. But fun, nonetheless. Okay, the next one, or the next one from 94, is Terror in the Night. Um, yeah, this is, I feel like it's a Canadian movie, it's a TV movie, and uh, this is basically um, a couple are out in the woods camping, they're approached by what they think is a police officer, and it's not, it's a psycho, he basically kidnaps the, the wife after raping her, the husband, played by Matt Mulhern, who's in stuff like um, Bluxy Blues and Extreme Prejudice, um, basically he tries to find her and look for her and that stuff, and I, like a lot of people don't believe him, yada yada yada, so it's kind of like it's more of a thriller definitely kind of like while the wife tries to survive in the woods and wilderness and that stuff it's a, the, the version I watched was very strange it had subtitles but it also like had like um, trailers like it had like not trailers but it had the commercials in between the thing like when it aired on television so it was real weird real fucking weird it had subtitles on there I don't know if somebody used some weird software that like uh, auto generates uh, um, basically subtitles if everybody knows that and it it's works fairly well I'd love to get a hand my hands on that but uh, anyways so, Terror in the Night. Um, I, I gotta say this right now. Like, I have seen good movies where, like, we have, like, the kind of stalker, somebody chasing somebody in the woods trying to survive thing. And there's some really great ones, like, the one-on-one -on -one kind of personal thing. But for the most part, like, um, even a movie that came out a couple years ago called Alone, which is genuinely a good film, bored the shit out of me. It bored the shit out of me. I, it's not really my thing. It's well sh and That one's much more well shot, and I don't want to say more well acted. It has some good acting in it. But this one just doesn't do much for me. Kind of, kind of bland and boring. Uh, very 90s, very TV. Matt Mulhern is an actor that I like from those two previous movies I've seen him in. No complaints. And, and the acting in this, are, there are no complaints really either. But uh, this, I just don't have much to say about it, to be honest. I mean, it is shot in the woods. There's some nice touches like that. But besides that, I mean, the quality I saw, it didn't look great at all. And the movie itself just kind of bores the shit out of me. I'm sorry. It's not horrible. It's not super poorly made but hell when you're when you're fucking barely being able to see anything it doesn't help much it's almost it's like why am i wasting my time watching this but uh at the same time tv movie very much of its time um crazy person in the woods and uh his performance is kind of kind of unhinged like the killer like when he goes off it's like i don't care if i we all die yada 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 and the idea of it's scary as shit um you know i imagine that people that go camping a lot would get more out of it and i used to go camping a lot and you could see this kind of thing happening like the way that he 
he approaches them, like they're kind of screwed. Like I think a lot of people would have fallen for it and a lot of people would have been taken advantage of in that situation. So it's not unrealistic. It's just um, not something that's the most entertaining movie for me or anything like that's terror in the night from 1994, more of a thriller, but still um, I checked it out anyways. Hey guys, what's up? We're here for blind spot. This is my pick. I picked it. That's right for me. And mm-hmm. I'd, I'd seen this movie. So well, it's not for you. <laughs> it's for me. But you've um, seen it. No, I hadn't seen it. Oh, you it. hadn't seen no, it. No, so I picked this as a blind spot. It's not you ain't seen. We. I don't know what the rules are. <laughs> I tried explaining them uh, to someone and who, I failed. Who, who are you talking to? Uh, Matt. Matt Hudson. <laughs> you probably butchered it. It's probably super simple and that's like... So I, I don't want to even go down this whole thing. So uh, basically I pick Cure by the director of Pulse. I'm not going to... How do you, do you know how to say his name? I didn't. I don't know what his name yeah, is. Yeah. Well, anyways, he also directed Creepy. He's kind of a semi-prolific uh, Japanese filmmaker. Um, Pulse actually is a movie that took me a while to come around on. The first time I saw it, I was just kind of left a little confused. I, I didn't love it, and then when I revisited, not too shortly after I first saw it, I really liked it. And I, I caught a lot of the meaning, I guess, a little bit more. So uh, Cure, I enjoyed right off the bat. So. Um, a lot of the Japanese horror films uh, or this kind of style are really kind of mystery detective stories. And I think that's really an effective way, uh, very adult or oriented. And they really kind of grab my attention because you're, you're, you're definitely trying to figure out what the hell is exactly happening. So essentially what we have is um, a string of murders are happening. We kind of dive right in after the first couple have happened. And uh, I don't necessarily know if there, there's an MO by basically an X across on all the bodies they're not sure how it's happening, and uh, eventually they catch on to somebody um, who appears to be involved with the murders who has lost their memory. Um, and the interactions with this character are absolutely frustrating because it's almost like you feel like he's doing it on purpose to drive you insane, and mm-hmm. there's a lot of going around in circle conversations. The main character is a police officer whose wife is suffering from some sort of uh, mind debilitating disease like dementia dementia or early alt alt timers i know everybody gets mad at me i know it's not fucking said i always say it <laughs> fucking have a pronunciation problem okay um so uh basically it, it kind of with the character without having his memory being a murder suspect and um uh it, it complicates things for him and he starts to lose his grabs, grasp on his anger issues and everything yeah. like that. So that's kind of the story. Um, the murders are grotesque. They're brutal. And uh, after we learn what is exactly happening, there is a lot of suspense in knowing uh, when the actual murder is going to take place. Right. I'll leave it at that. So, yeah. What would you think? Um, I think that it's a it's a really nice looking film. A lot of the locations are shot in like this like gritty, bleak these like pretty bleak rundown locations um like visually it's i don't say it's like a pretty movie to watch but everything just has this nice kind of like rainy day like south toledo atmosphere <laughs> despite not taking place in south well, toledo the cinematography's great you notice a <coughs> lot is. of camera movement and uh, well done camera movement not jarring mm-hmm. not quickly and not that there's anything wrong with that kind of movement it's a it's a very professional shot film and tracking shots and you'll see a character there's like a lot of um like i said you said locations and Mm -hmm. buildings that are run down and deteriorating which it's really strange because everything everywhere they shoot is gloomy and dark and all the buildings are falling to pieces and uh they'll show shots of people walking through the hallways from the outside and they're just like really well choreographed how the people it's that kind of way it's just such a professionally well done movie and very slick 
if that makes any sense. And yeah. it's depression and depressive kind of. This is the way it's made. And you know, it's weird because like, it, like, like the apartments, the hotels, the hospitals were all kind of just run down like shit. Kind of run down, almost um, like torture. Rooms. R- right? Yeah. Like, like it's like lifted from um Saul or Hostel or yeah. something. Um, the story, like, like the mystery that unfolds, like it, it's given to you in pieces, but it's given it, like it's given to you in like a logical order to where it really does a great job of building upon itself. But I do think that it kind of falls apart in the end. It leaves it very open-ended until you've had to figure out what you exactly think happened. And I'm sure right. there's a lot of hints that show you, but on first view, it definitely has some question marks that I feel like are, you're able to answer, but, uh. They do leave you wondering a couple details. Yeah, there's like some stuff from like the 1800s they bring up, and it gets a little bit wishy-washy at that last moment. I I do really like the characters, especially the two leads. Um, kind of has like a like a Death Note feeling to it. Yeah. Um, the police officer's fantastic, police officer and he's in a fantastic. bunch of stuff. He's in Tampopo. Yeah, he's in Tampopo. He's yeah. in um, Shall We Dance, which. I've never seen I also it. watched in Japanese class. I don't know why we watched those two movies of all movies, but um Tampopo's an actual treasure. Shall we dance is Well the lead, he's he's excellent too, and like he has such a cold demeanor, like he's just obviously struggling with his wife, but like when he starts to lose his temper, it, it's unnerving. Well like Shall We Dance is a like a romantic comedy. I mean he is like, a I mean, he's he's obviously a very professional, yeah, yeah. great actress. He's I mean, a range of stuff, but the 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 guy with the with the the memory loss stuff is also amazing. Oh, I th- I think he he's fun and he's so frustrating. I just wanted to slap him every time he there's, walked on the screen. There's that brilliant scene where he uh, interacts with the detective superiors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you, like this superior is so used to like just kind of like people like respecting him, right? And like when he talks to that guy, he's like, and like he gets halfway through, he's like, and who are you again? He's just like. And then he's like, and and who are you? He's like, I'm the police chief. And who are you? Like he's like, <laughs> like he starts to obviously play mind games. Um, yeah, it's a really well done film. Mm-hmm. Um, and it brings in like all the weird alchemy and scientific right. psychological stuff. Again, it's like Frankenstein, right? It's like you have the science based stuff, and then it's like, well, we can't really do this in real life, so we're throwing some alchemy, which adds the mystery. So basically, magic of right. some sort, you know. Um. It's it's an interesting film. Like I I thought it was a really good film. Second viewing would be better. Like, and and in terms of 1997, that's not a good year for movies. Right. Really for horror films, I should say. This has got to be the top of the heat for horror mm-hmm. films, right? Like Mimic and like Cube I, and stuff. It, it's got to be one of the better films. You right? know, I I am very partial to Mimic. Mimic's but, a good movie. But the director's cut. Did dir- yeah, watch so the, the, the theatrical, film. I guess, was a little bit more chopped up, slightly right. worse. Um, but probably yeah. less dead children in the uh, theatrical cut. Probably that's probably something that the the company would want right. to cut. Um, I I would probably give this a four out of, of five on the first viewing. Could go up. I, out of five first viewing, um, it, it's weird. Like I want to maybe give it like a three and a half out of five. Like I I did like it. I think that it it's unveiled very, like very nicely. But I think the ending does kind of lose me with. The reincarnation and the ambiguity of everything. I I do like how the one guy ultimately meets his fate. Um, because again, it's very cathartic. But um, <laughs> yeah, I forgot <coughs> about that. That's always funny to me. Is yeah, when you do not just double, triple, quadruple. Um, can, can, can can we spoil nah, that? We'll oh man. Um, the one thing I will say is the movie is really good at visually 
showing stuff instead of just telling you. Um, it's not an exposition dump kind of movie. Kind of like the movie I watched this week, Girls School Screamers. That yeah. was big exposition dumps left and right, but they became comical in that movie because there's so there's like two back to back. This one, like they don't really do a lot of exposition dumps. There's a couple. Everything is like kind of with the detective in. story. You can kind of try to you can find a couple moments of discovery, but the scene where um, there's a part where. And this is a slight spoiler, but not too much, where he's eating at this cafe and he, um, the waiter comes by or waitress, I can't remember which, and it doesn't really fucking matter, takes the plate and it's still like almost 95% filled with food. And then at the very end, the waitress comes to get the plate and it's it's empty. Like mm-hmm. you can tell that he got over something, right. no matter what kind of dark places he went to get there. So yeah, excellent movie. Um, yeah, like I said, four out of five. Yeah, I mean, it's probably higher than what I give it, but... Um... Like, like it does lose me at the end, and I just kind of like, I don't know if I know what happened at the very, like, last 10, 15 minutes. I would compare this to a Korean film called The Wailing, if you've not seen that one. Like, mm-hmm. just the sense of mystery and discovery. Um, yeah, it does have some similarities between The Wailing. I would say less supernatural and um, ghost-oriented than The Wailing, but still, uh, nonetheless, I mean... You has know, some of those aspects like like Noroi like does the same thing where it trickles in the information um Noroi I I don't it's gonna be hard to top Noroi for me and that's the thing I think Noroi like as a whole ultimately makes sense even though it's still kind of like out there in terms of like what's actually happening it's not like real world stuff it's it, it takes the time to explain itself in a very nice way while this one I think it just leaves things a bit too open um but but the acting is fantastic. I I love the uh, the doctor character. Oh yeah yeah. Um, and, and then yeah, all the supporting cast is you know pretty solid. I also would compare this to um, Angel Dust, which is a 1994 Japanese kind of mystery film. Did which, I watch Angel Dust? No, I don't think you did. It's a pretty good movie. So okay, I'm just saying stuff that's like it. I like to do that just so people now like the wailing has the mystery kind of thing. Um, that's Korean, and then Angel Dust has the mystery kind of aspect going on. I'm just naming Japanese films with mysteries. The Ring. <laughs> I I, no I still think that I I would compare it similar to Death Note. Of, I've never seen Death Note, the anime or the film version, the live action. Oh, I'm you know I haven't. I've only ever seen the anime, but um, it's been what. Was that Adam Wingard actually years? directed the live action? You know that? And I, I don't think he was very familiar with the anime, so I think people were just kind of pissed off about it. So it was just like, it is what it is. So what are we going to watch next week? So next week we'll do Kizu Monotagari. It's, um, it's based off of a light novel, I believe. And there's three movies. <laughs> three movies? But e- each movie is only like an hour long. We're only watching one movie though, right? Yeah, I was going to do one, and then I'll pick the other two later on. But the animation looks fantastic. What is it about? I think it's about vampires. What's it called? Kizumonotagari. In English translation? I don't know. I don't know what Kizu means. No one's going to be able to find this. No, it's on Amazon. You just type in Kizumonotagari. Look it up. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But no, I, I, I I was interested. I wanted to see it for a while. The animation always looked really neat. Um... I think it might be part of a larger series, but I don't know if they're related or not. Monotagari means, I don't know, like spooky things or something. Like ghost story or... But I don't know what the Kizu part means because I don't. I didn't see it written in Japanese, so I can't tell you what it means. This guy got mad at me for Red to Kill. You're going to have a lot of fun for an hour and six minutes. I like the runtime. Watch, watching... I like the runtime. 
anime vampires run around and kill each other and blow up in the sun. So what was that show? Um, I don't think it's as graphic as something like the eighties anime. What but. was the vamp? No, nothing quite is vampire. Right. Um, jeez, hell, 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 something. Helsing. Helsing. Remember that show? I remember Helsing. I never watched the anime, but I, I did read a little bit of the manga. All right. So whatever you said, next week. Kizimonogatari next week, part one of three. All right, guys. Let's get into these questions, comments, concerns, all that jazz. Um, basically, I'm I'm reading off uh, Fire Kindle because I'm trying to save paper. I'm trying to save the environment. One step at a time. Uh, okay, that's not why. It's just that uh, I didn't mind your own business. I don't know what I'm going on about this. Okay, so horror movie hustle. Great video as usual, Dave. Speaking of Pod being an anchor. I have some questions regarding that kind of stuff. I've been doing research on different places because I'm ready to branch uh, my stuff out from just doing YouTube. Is there any particular reason why you chose to go with Anchor, if you don't mind me asking? I was leaning towards going with Podbeam due to the link-up capabilities with YouTube. They can host video there from what I hear. Just curious as to where uh, to start going forward. Thanks in advance and have a good one. Thank you. Um, Actually, I used to be on Podbeam. And I didn't know about the video capabilities. I heard that Spotify will do it right. I don't know if you can upload your video on Anchor and it will play audio everywhere else, but it'll play the video on Spotify. I'm not 100% how that goes. It's just that for years I was paying $10 a month for Podbean, and I really wasn't getting anything out of it that I couldn't have got from Anchor. So I switched to Anchor. Now, the one thing I did realize, and I don't know if it's just my kind of stupidity or not knowing the program, the software as much, but when I copy and paste a lot of stuff, like you can't copy and paste as much as you could into the Anchor as you could Podbean. Also, when I upload a 16 by 9 photo for Podbean, it would take it perfectly find I could use the same thumb for um, my YouTube video and my podcast right so it was very easy in that aspect but now when I'm an anchor I have to kind of basically put like black borders over so I can get it to like a, a, a square pixel on there so that's the only thing I really noticed difference on anchor um, but uh, yeah that, that's all I can say um, if you want to go free go anchor um, an anchor is going to be better for somebody that's going to want to like add advertisements in on the spot or something like that but I, I I'm doing videos first and then putting them to anchor so it doesn't really do much for me um DVDs, nuts, and popcorn. Can I request someone for the secret top 10? I would love to see Jeremy, NES Ruler, on there. Might be a cool show of support and could be fun also. Uh, maybe. Ken Coakley. Um, Theater of Blood is one of my favorite Vincent Price movies. Diana Rigg was great as a uh, androgynous daughter. She was always my favorite Bond girl. She married Bond and on Her Majesty's Secret Service. There were some other actors who had done big movies before. Milo O'Shea had appeared in the 1968 film Romeo and Juliet, and the first victim was played by Michael Horden, who played the ghost of Jacob Marley in 1951 film Scrooge. And lastly, Robert Morley's demise was the Titus Adronicus. I like this character because I'm a dog lover, especially poodles. My favorite scene was the hairdresser scene. No doubt, the Robert Morley and the hairdresser stuff is great. I also have a question. Do you have a page of your filmography? I want to see some of your movies, but the only Dave Parker movies I can find are made by director Dave Parker. Yeah, just search uh, Dave Parker on the second, or just search one of the movies. If you search, um, let me think, Apple Card or Headless on the Internet Movie Database and click that Dave Parker, um, it'll pop up. So, yeah. Uh, or or if you send me a private message on Facebook or something like that, I can send you the list or just the link. 
Um, Bucket Bothead 007, who's been commenting a lot, appreciate it. Only had, uh, but when you comment on old videos, I, sometimes it's been like two, three years. My memory is not always great, so um, if if my replies are um, lackluster, I apologize for that. Only had the time to watch the Theater of Blood segment here. It's one of my favorites. I see you listed 4K Possession at number five in the description. Is that uh, Andre Zulowski's 1981 film with Sam Neill and Isabella Johnny? Love that batshit crazy film. Have you reviewed it in a video? Is that the French 4K release with the soundtrack CD? It is the French 4K release for sure i've not reviewed it on the channel i'm also a fan of it it's been years um fuck it. who put that there um and he also says i mentioned that and he says great film amazing performance by isabella johnny the french releases included a four disc collector's book with hardcover book and in their inner print limited the 1500 not sure if it's still the case but i'm pretty sure the french subtitles on the shot queen film releases were always forced and could not be removed oh that sucks um i, I guess i'll survive but uh anyways uh fritz those arms thank you very much um, although I have not been working out the last two days, I'm going to get flabby. RB. Uh, here we go. I watched Halloween Spookies recently, and your performance as the ghost slash death messenger was absolutely outstanding. You have real talent. Thank you very much. I appreciate that, because honestly, that was one of my favorite roles I played. It's just, that's a big part of my personality, is that hyperactive, kind of loud goofiness, and like, I very much like that character in a lot of ways, and it was inspired by stuff I love and grew up with, like, of course, Beetlejuice and Little Monsters and, you know, that kind of shit. So, yeah. Um, Big Tubby, if you, if I had to request someone for the Secret Top 10, it's got to be Moods. Love the show as always. Thank you. <laughs> Moods is going to be on for sure. David Lawrence Graham. Yes, Mr. Parker with a new video. Um, so, basically, I asked people, any uh, extreme, independent, or underground movies you'd want to see me cover on the channel. So I'm basically going to limit this. Like, if I've covered it in the last five years in this kind of weekly format, I probably won't cover it again unless it gets a new release. So um, if I had not covered it, definitely shoot these. So this is Jason Lindbergh, Brian Paulin's Fetus, or any of his films. i got to cover Fetus again. Love that. Uh, Aaron Carruthers, Possession. Christopher Ellswick, The Barn, Circus of the Dead, covered that one. Bloody Ballet, covered that one. Cherokee Creek, She Walks in the Woods, Skeletons in the Closet. Madeline Deering, Spirit Animal, I just got done with it. Uh, Rebecca Reinhardt, Have You Seen 29 Needles? And basically I told her I was very, I bought it, I was very apprehensive about it. it sounds really crazy. I don't know if I can take it anymore. Uh, I know, people are like, quit being a baby. I, I could take anything, all right? It's just I don't know if I want to put myself through that. I did buy it, though, so I do plan on watching it. Rebecca Reinhardt. It's uh, it's actually fantastic, uncomfortable, but uh, fantastic. Super low budget, but doesn't feel that way. Great lead. The director's a super nice guy. I would recommend it. And um, basically, uh, Chet Turner mentions that the lead star of that movie <coughs> passed away not too long ago. Rebecca Reinhardt chimes in. I got to spend time with Brooke at Nightmares Film Festival when this premiered shortly before she died. Such a wonderful person who is turning things around. She was so proud of the film and humbled by the response it received. That's sad. R.I.P. Corey Walter, new Blu-ray of Phil Herman's Burglar from Hell. I got it coming up in the update. Chet Turner, um, Lex Ortega's or Atros. I cannot sit through it and produce, and I produce and write extreme movies myself. Uh, yeah, I've, I've covered Atros. Uh, and he says, uh, he also mentions maybe into the fold and paying up two-thirds of the trilogy. And since, like, I was in the first part of that trilogy, I feel really weird about covering those. Because, um, like, what if I'm, like, reviewing it and I'm like, I think that we did this better or they didn't. You know, it's just fucking strange. Harry Collins, anything Japanese extreme, for sure. Marco Vitian, pieces of talent, greatest indie film ever. It's one of them. Uh, Amy Fox Goodwin, Cyan Sano's Love Exposure. I'm going to keep bugging you until uh, I did like The Border. Some older ones that I recall, if you have covered. Oh, man, I accidentally cut it off. 
Okay, so I'll go back to that. I'll pull it up on my Facebook if I can. Um, sorry, I always do that. I could have swore I did that. Um, can't recall if the cover. She mentions red, white, and blue, which I did cover a long time ago, but it's definitely uh, time for a rewatch. Um, so basically, uh, yeah, I mentioned that one stays with you. Is certain films just like red, white, and blue, just heavy psychological aspect beyond that just the gore and atrocities or feel the weight of the film for a while after viewing eric spudnik savage harvest which i covered love it uh malefic uh grave vengeance dweller and old noggins those ones i have not steven fernandino uh jonathan does the degenerates need to get that jacob b green uh melancholy der angle which scares me to watch but i have it uh jordan bennett august underground did a whole special on it Nick Moore, please, sir, review anything from Hex Media. Some of the best indie out there, especially the kindness of raisins and black on kindness of ravens and black gloves. Questions: Do you enjoy count court drama movies? If yes, any favorites? Um, Certain Fury starts off with a really awesome courtroom scene. I'll go with that. Just off the top of my head, um, I mean courtroom dramas are fine. I love uh, Twelve Angry Men. I guess that kind of counts as a courtroom drama. What's the dumbest uh, accident you ever had? I mean, I do lots of dumb shit all the time. Just for example, uh, we were, I was at the park and they had like this workout set. And it was really cold and like just not thinking, being a dumb fuck, I walked up and punched the heavy bag, and uh, it was frozen. Because, of course, it's cold. Why wouldn't it be? That hurt. I didn't punch it full blast. I just kind of gave it a jab. And I was like, fuck! And then, like, I literally went on, proceeded to hit my head on every pole I did a pull-up on. So, yeah. Dumbest accident you ever had. There's there's thousands of dumb accidents. Um, for me, he was trying to balance two heavy bags whilst riding a bicycle and falling flat on my ass. I hope you and Jeremy and the cats are enjoying the sun as much as I am. What sun? I just told you it was 30 a couple weeks ago. Uh, a couple days ago. Stephen Friedel. How about the greatest indie horror film ever made? Douglas Buck's Family Portraits. Dan, the cameraman. Hey, Grandpa, when are you going to get deep dive in the lore and legacy of the Violent Ship franchise? There's a lot to explore. Such a family lineage, the Carl Butcher, the connection with Nichols and Impaler, and the appearance of Carl the Butcher in part four. No, not doing... I'm never... I'll talk about the other ones again, one, two, and three. And even Zombie 90, but I'm not watching four again. Uh, Aaron Mazzola, Axum. Uh, Zach Puccinelli, Frontiers. Scott Bruckner, Cryptic Plasm, Come Get Some, Schizophreniac, which I did mention in one of the upcoming Secret Top Tens, House of Forbidden Secrets, Computer Hearts, Back from Hell slash Dead City, Splatter Naked Blood, cover that one, Dead Meat, um, Dead Body Man Trilogy, Shattered Dead, cover that one, Dead and Rotting, and Nightmare Asylum. Is that the Todd Sheets one? Um, he basically, I mentioned I covered some of those. He figured you probably touched on a lot of them. I've got a lot of catching up to do on YouTube because I was off for a few years. I used to do videos under the name uh, Jug Court on there, but I got locked out of my account for my email. I made it with being inactive. Oh, shit. Jug Court. I remember, man. I remember you. Uh, how you been? Robert Mazzola. Images. Robert Altman film. It's so bizarre and oddly horrific, but in a subtle, mind-manipulating way. Great film. I did cover that. Stephen McNulty. Red Room 1 and 2 and more Necrostime titles, perhaps. That would be a great idea. Red Room 1 and 2 are awesome. It's been years since I watched them. David uh, Zavala. Come and see. Did cover that one. But uh, it's been a long... It's not been that long, but I didn't cover the Blu-ray. I watched it before the Blu-ray came out. Um, I definitely, if I do watch that again, I'll have to have somebody who's never seen it watch it with me so they can just be like... <coughs> see that? I can't even breathe in like a... I can't even... I'm dipping my shirt in fucking coffee here. This is why I don't wear shirts like this, but I was cold because I'm sick. So question of the week. What is the best movie to watch when you are sick? Let me know. What's your favorite movie to watch when you're sick or what's the best one? Maybe you just kind of zone out and be like drifted away or maybe it's just one that makes you feel better. Let me know. And anyways, we're going to hop into that update. Okay, the update's going to be fairly quick. I only got seven titles, but my Vinegar Syndrome package came in. We got Alien Private Eye. That's right. Uh, I've not seen this one. 
I remember the title for sure. Uh, looked like one that I recognized on VHS. Um, this looks fun. I'm sure they made this thing look excellent like they always do. Vinegar Syndrome title here. And then we have Flesh Eater on 4K. Don't know why I didn't do the 4Ks first, because I'm a jackass. Anyways, I love Flesh Eater, directed by the late Bill Heinzman, um, a.k.a. Revenge of the Living Dead. I used to have a VHS for Magnum. I wish I kept that VHS. But anyways, this is a really fun Night of the Living Dead kind of unofficial sequel, where Bill Heinzman plays basically the graveyard zombie, and he comes back to life and just wreaks havoc on Halloween. And uh, yeah, it's just a lot of fun. Uh, kind of one of my favorites, honestly. Um, I can't believe it's on 4K. That's so fucking cool. Uh, this one's really fun. Check it out if nobody's ever, if you've not seen this. And it had a Media Blasters DVD and Blu-ray, and I think that's out of print. So grab your zombie, zombie flower, flesh eater. Uh, and then up we have, next up we have Death Wish 2, directed by Michael Winner. And uh, yeah, the starring Charles Bronson, the sequel, <laughs> Bronson's List again. The sequel, this is 4K, made how many years later, right? Uh, like six to eight years later, something like that. Death Wish 2 is a freaking sleaze classic, man. Got a lot of great bad guys. Uh, Charles Bronson, Vincent Gardena, Lawrence Fishburne. Just a really cool movie. Um, excellent stuff. One of the best bad guy gangs ever. They're so ruthless. Um, super sleazy and, and actually takes you back how fucked up it is. Anyways, uh, it's a great film. Um, I, I recommend checking this one out for sure if you've not seen it. Um, I love all the Death Wish movies, the first five for sure, and I like Death Sentence, and I don't even mind the remake, even though it's not up to snuff with the other ones. But then we have Burglar, Burglar from Hell by Phil Herman. This looks nonsensical as shit from Saturn's Core. That's right. Um, I have this DVD. I think that... Uh, what? Who released this? It was like the Sleazebox people released this one. Uh, yeah, anyways, I like what um, Saturn's Core is doing. That's their 10th release. They're, they're really cranking them out. Then we got Video Murders, which I think I actually watched before, and I know I had a VHS of this bad boy somewhere. I know I did because I covered the VHS, and, and I, I feel like um, I did it for the VHS Voyage. This is a culture shock, and uh, I don't remember absolutely every detail about this movie, to be honest, um, but I remember it being all right. So That's <laughs> really not a glowing review. I remember it being all right, so I bought the Blu-ray. Why? Cause I'm an idiot. Um, Born to Win um, from Fun City here. Uh, it's got De Niro. Look at young De Niro back there. Um, not, not seen this one, but Fun City. Uh, they, their titles always are very interesting looking. I need to start watching. Is that Burt Young too? Man, this cast is crazy. Uh, this movie I'm not familiar with, but the cast is amazing. George Siegel, Karen Black. Um, let, let's see who else pops up in here. Like I said, I'm spotting Burt Young and then De Niro right on the cover here. So pretty cool stuff. Um, don't, don't know the movie though. So... And then last is Stiff Competition. <laughs> I love that cover art. Uh, nice and colorful. This is from Picarama. I, I don't know. if uh, Fourth Annual World Championship, championship Suck-Off. $50 cash price. Jeez. Fucking a little cheap. Don't you think? This is also a fucking 4K. That's right. Porn in 4K. I'm in. Uh, see every detail. Uh, athletes are gearing up for the annual suck-off championship. A competition dedicated to crowning the woman with the best oral technique. Top coach Jeff loses his star contender, the mouth, after she quits mid-round during an expedition match. Expedition match, sorry. Desperate for a new would-be star athlete to compete for the world title, he finds the perfect candidate in form of the shy and inexperienced Tammy. There's a lot more, but you guys don't need to know anything more about the suck-off competition. You'll have to buy the, the 4K to see it. Um, yeah, fucking crazy. Anyways, guys, back to the video. Alright, guys, thank you very much for watching, and as always, have a good one. Yeah.